everybody. It's Brianna Hineke Hodges with another episode of Learning Through Uncertainty. Joining us today are Dr. Brittany Wilson, Executive Director of Innovative Programs, and Farad Ahmed, the Director of the Marietta Alternative Education Program for Marietta Schools in Georgia. Woo, that's a mouthful for, for this early in the day. I am super, super excited to have y'all with us. Um, before we get started, I would love for you to share with everybody um, a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your, your role and who you serve. So Brittany, you wanna get started? Absolutely. Um, I have 20 plus years in education. Um, over half of that has been at the leadership level. Um, I've currently been with Marietta City Schools around three years. My title is Executive Director of Innovative Practices, and you will go, well, what does that mean? Um, so I kind of work with a charter because we are a charter system here in the state of Georgia, a public charter. We, um, I also work with policy, so writing board policy to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our community and our students. I work with the discipline, which is kind of how Farhat and I work hand in hand with our alternative program. And then I also um, oversee federal programs. So making sure that our funding is getting to um, our students that are most in need. All right, Farhat, what about you? Tell us a little bit about your role. Okay, Farhat Ahmed, uh, I come from, I'm a career changer. I was in law enforcement and then I came over to education. Uh, this is my first leadership role. So I'm the director of the alternative program for the city of Marietta schools, which means if you've been placed on long-term suspension through a disciplinary hearing, or you're referred to by some kind of disciplinary recommendations, whether it's parents or uh, administration, you come to me and I teach you and get you a high school diploma and hopefully some job skills. And I work with law enforcement and probation and parole and the juvenile court and the adult courts to try and get all agencies working together synergistically so we can help people not fall through the cracks. Awesome. So I want to I want to jump in a little bit and um, get you guys to talk a little bit about this program, because um, this is one of those things where, you know, we often talk in education, especially when we're interviewing people, when we're celebrating the great work that happens in our schools. Oftentimes um, we talk about a certain you know, certain students, certain programs, different things like that. But one of the things that uh, that usually happens in the back is you have a lot of educators that are like, mm -hmm, but that doesn't work with my kids. You know, you don't understand the kids that I'm dealing with every day or, um, you know, the, the, the challenges that they're facing. And, um, you know, I, so I, I really want you guys to, to unpack, if you will, um, who are the, the kids that you served? I mean, you talked about how, you know, a lot of them are, are uh, you know, dealing with, um, with with legal repercussions or, or behavior issues, different things like that. So, you know, not exactly what we would term as the easiest students to um, to reach and that are most successful in a typical um, learning environment. So kind of talk a little bit about, you know, how, how this program came to be, what, uh, you know, and, and what are some of the elements around it? Uh, let me let me start out by kind of, kind of giving a, a broader picture of Marietta City Schools. Um, we're a very diverse uh, student body. So we have um, roughly, you know, you're looking at 35% um, African-American, around 40% Hispanic, and then 15% um, Caucasian. So again, very diverse across our entire district. Um, of our district, we're looking at around 60% economically disadvantaged. So we have a lot of different obstacles 
uh, when we're working with our student population. The specific population that we're talking about in our alternative school, which Farha and I work with, is these students are have um, violated our discipline code in such a way that warranted that they go before a hearing officer and or a tribunal panel. So um, to steal Farhat's words, he always says, I see these kids after the worst day of their lives when they've been expelled and they're trying to find another alternative. So these students in this population um, are, you know, the obstacles that they face, you know, single parents, um, no home to go to at night, um, you know, really um, gang influence. Um, so the, this is a population of students that, yeah, we can tout about the great things that we're doing in Marietta City Schools, but a lot of times, and it's not just common to Marietta, this population of students gets tossed aside in a quote unquote alternative program. Uh, and then really they're just a statistic or a number in the dropout rate. So if I may, before my program existed, uh, Marietta contracted out with a program called Ombudsman, which is a privately run alternative education program. It's basically a computer farm where we're going to stick kids in front of a computer and have one person monitoring. And in five years, one student actually finished their high school diploma in that program. Uh, to contrast, the first year I was in the first year I was running the alternative program, five students graduated. Uh, the superintendent brought me over with the purpose of specifically running a, creating an alternative education program with heart, something that was someone was passionate about. I had spent my entire career in alternative education, which is normally a dumping ground for the worst teachers and the worst students. Kind of, let's put you in the basement. And as long as you keep your guys away from my guys, we're all good to go. And our superintendent did not want that. I've worked for him on and off for 15 years. And he's like, Farhad, you're making a name for yourself. You did well. And I was in, working in an alternative school in College Park, Georgia, which is one of the most notorious suburbs in the United States. And I won a bunch of awards. And he's like, Farhad, do what you do there here in Marietta, but I want you to run it. I'm like, okay, but I'm different. And he's like, okay, that's what we need. <laughs> so um difference putting it mildly by the way yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> i mean different i would now. go at least unique <laughs> i mean so speaking of unique there one of the things i found when i started the program other than having uh standards from the georgia department of education there's hardly any research or any supporting documentation or peer reviewed anything about how to run an alternative education program. So I was like, oh, cool, I'm on my own. So I, uh, the thing, the underlying principle of what I do is everything that I ever saw wrong in any kind of education setting, I'm just not gonna do. And this is where I get a lot of criticism because everyone's like, well, don't bag on teachers. Well, I mean, the thing I always, what is it? Don't reinvent the wheel. The wheel's not spinning. <laughs> you mean <laughs> zero people graduated in five years, uh, time to reinvent it or build a new wheel. So, um, and just to kind of speak a little bit more about um, the nuances of the program and how Farhat and I became involved in that. So roughly about three years ago, when we both came, you know, on board, it was looking at, first of all, the processes and procedures 
for students going into this program. So really tightening that up and making sure that our student, the appropriate students were being placed there. And it wasn't students that were just chronic discipline problems. It was students that really had, you know, violated that code in such a way that it warranted them to be served in that setting. So anyway, we began by cleaning that up. And then um, kind of we like to say, once we got that, you know, tight, then we could focus on the real work, which the real work is, okay, now we have the students here, this population, how do we best serve those students? How can we define success for those students? And one of the first things that we realized for this population of students is a diploma was a piece of paper. It didn't matter. There was no motivation to get that piece of paper. So we had to look at, okay, what is a motivator for a student in this population? And we have partnered with our local technical college, Chattahoochee Tech, and offered um, through Senate Bill 2 here in the state of Georgia, the opportunity for our students to um, get a welding certificate, um, get um, construction, you know, we're working on HVAC right now, but getting these technical certificates simultaneously while they're working towards their diploma. Um, so I think that's kind of been a game changer for us because we found something to motivate the students because we wanted them to graduate, but they had no motivation to graduate and we couldn't sell a piece of paper. We can sell a credential, yeah, we can sell a, job a job skill. And these are things that our kids are passionate about. I know we have the one student who's pursuing the automotive yeah. pathway. And he's doing welding and he's, he's gonna be our first graduate. And he's one of the first graduates in the district to graduate with this particular dual enrollment option B certificate. And um, if you don't mind me, another uh, game changer for us is just, we're like 50-50 social emotional academic, maybe 60-40, it just depends on the day. Cause that's the other thing. Um, Everyone who's in our school has been beaten down since the early days of you're the bad kid, you're the bad kid, you've always been the bad kid. So we have like career bad kids, but that's all they know and that's all they've been told. And that's probably they get it at home, they get it at school, they get it everywhere. You walk into maps and the first thing I usually say to people is I don't care what you did yesterday. Like today's your new day. And then out of a desperation one day, we started having these family meetings. I called Brittany in a cold panic because a bunch of my students just got arrested for yeah. robbing each other. <laughs> and it was, I like all of a sudden lost three people, one of them possibly getting deported and I didn't know what to do. And so we had this meeting where it was Brittany and I and a couple of police officer friends of mine and the guy who runs our meditation group. Yeah, we have meditation every Friday, by the way, really helpful. Um, anyway, uh, and uh, Brittany, one of the first things that was said at this family meeting, Brittany said to the group, when was the last time anyone ever told you anything positive? And the room was like dead quiet. And we just kind of went from there. And part of it was us sharing stories about coming up and trying to connect with them that way and part of it was we don't want to see any of you get arrested here's our phone number if it was the day before a break so I'm like call me if you're on that cliff if you're on the jagged edge and you're looking to make this decision or that decision and has it always been successful no we still have students who are arrested over break 
But also I get like three or four phone calls over break out of desperation. And even the police will call me over a break and say, Farhat, we just arrested so-and-so, you please talk to them. And, and I'll kind of um, just to continue that and, and, and put in the whole pandemic situation and what we've dealt with, you know, from the um, initial start of this program and then going through the pandemic and then where we are right now, um, those family meetings happening before a break, because when this population of students, they're on a break, there's no routine to their life anymore. School's the only routine, the only thing that is normal to them a lot of times. So it was so important, especially during the pandemic, that there was some type of normalcy that was kept with this population of students. And where, even if it wasn't face-to-face, Farhat did a fantastic job of keeping them engaged because they needed to know, hey, there's still school here and we still care about you. We just can't be together right now. So I think that was huge over the, um, over the pandemic. And then also, um, this was one of the first populations that we brought back face-to-face and in person. Number one, because it was easier to social distance because we had fewer students. Um, but then also it was a population that we know needed to be back in person as soon as we possibly could do that, where we felt that it was safe for the students. So can we talk a little bit about those transition periods? Because I think that that's one of those things that um, has been a struggle across the country, right? Uh, you know, just like you said, the, the routine is so important. And you know when you start talking about our, our unique populations, like our alternative populations, our, our special education populations where, where routine is even more so important and these serious changes, you know, these massive shifts, like a, oh my gosh, you're not going to school anymore because yeah. of a global pandemic. Um, how, how, you know, that, there's a lot of conversation around losing people and losing students in that time, um, you know, what what was that transition like? What were some of the things that you found um, important and useful in connecting with those kids? Because I think that that's you know listening to you two, that's the underlying piece through all of this is maintain is developing and maintaining and continually fueling that relationship so that kids know there is somebody there for them all the time. Um, again, you know, it's not always going to make the best decision, but you're, you're there for them in whichever decisions that they make. So, you know, kind of talk us through some of those transitions. So the one student we have who's about to graduate with the dual enrollment certificates during the pandemic, he just had 24 hour access to me. And I made that clear and I was up all day and all night taking phone calls and helping with math or whatever, and just talking to people. And he would text me these like, three page long text about what he wanted to do in the future and just always being and I know that's not realistic like I know people have families and people have x y and z and I, that's a privilege I have it's just me so I couldn't I made myself available but it that's what really helped the transition and when they all got back the big thing was I'm not here to waste anyone's time enough time has already been wasted when you're gone that's where like standards-based grading comes in it's like, yeah. I'm not, and then the big, that's when our uh, option B, Senate Bill yeah. 2 really took off with the dual enrollment, because it's like, now you only have to do your freshman and junior year, and then you can spend the rest of the time in a tech school. It's that whole, your time has already been wasted your entire academic career, pandemic notwithstanding. So when you come to my school, our school, 
you're not going to have your time wasted. We're going to get you in. We're going to get you out. And along the way, we're going to get you some emotional support and build you up as a person. Yeah. And to kind of uh, right along with what you said, Brianna, about the relationship piece, I think um, uh, we graduate 100% of kids now that don't become incarcerated. So it was very, very important for us to highlight and showcase um, our local police in a positive light, because these are kids, you know, from the time that they're little have been taught that, you know, the police are bad, they're, they're going to get you. Um, and, and we had some, some instances when our police were there that were not friendly, no. <laughs> you know, because kids that's been ingrained in them. So getting them to see our local um, police officers in a positive light and knowing that they care too, that they're like, hey, I have to do my job, but I don't want to arrest you. I want you to be successful. So we started with that, the local police officers coming in and they developed relationships with the students. And then in addition, uh, Farha and I have been reaching out to our local judges um, and the communication was somewhat lacking between what you had happening in the school system and then what was happening in the judicial system. So if we had a kid that had been arrested now where we may not even have known it, you know, there's a direct phone call yeah. coming to us going, hey, this is one of your kids. He was arrested for X, Y, and Z. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? So it's working proactively as opposed to reactively to making sure that, okay, if we can, we can help the kid graduate, but if he is gone to a YDC or he is incarcerated, you know, in the local jail for three or four months, he's lost three or four months of his education that he can't get back. So we're trying to eliminate that by allowing the students to come to MAPS and come to our alternative program while um, they're maintaining all the things set forth by the court system, you know, the check-ins, check-outs, the um, um, making sure that you're going to school, going to the counseling services. Yeah. So that piece has been very, very helpful uh, in making the program successful. And we've also reached out to our district attorney, who's um, very proactive in stopping the prison school to prison pipeline. So he wants to even take that to another level. I know Farah mentioned all the agencies working collaboratively, but how can we um, even more so do that from, from a higher level spectrum that we're, we're taking money, you know, that was funneled into, you know, really the incarceration system and putting it into the education piece so that we're not creating career criminals. We're stopping that when it starts and giving students another opportunity. So like our end goal is say a MAP student gets arrested or a student gets arrested. Depending on the criminal charge, it goes before the district attorney. If it's a Marietta City student, the, Marietta, the district attorney calls us or they immediately say, let's talk about diversion. Or like, since he's, we know he's going to MAPS and we know he's gonna be under close supervision during the day, let's work with probation and parole. And maybe he needs to be on house arrest, maybe not. We put him on house arrest, he goes to probation and parole at night, and he goes to MAPS during the day. And they make provisions for the dual enrollment, they make provisions for employment, but that's working with us. And then they also know they're getting counseling services at MAPS, they're getting uh, mindfulness training. So it's all like 
every agency working together to keep people out of jail. That's the, that's the flow that we want. That's the A to B that we want. And then the, usually we got A to B, right? C and D always in the past has been incarceration or worse. And we're trying to make C, oh, look, you just got a job at uh, Marietta Toyota servicing SUVs or whatever. I mean, but that's, we're there. Like our first guy is about to do this. So, I mean, it's, is it perfect yet? No. Is it ironed out yet? No, but we've had all these meetings. We're having these meetings. We've given a list of students to the district attorney already. And he's already working on like, these are the guys we need to get in some kind of diversion program. And we already, the criminal court judge has called me in to testify on a student's behalf to make my sentencing recommendations. So, I mean. And, and it's your bottom line is the right thing to do. And again, I go back to our conversation where it began, where it's, this has typically been a population that has been discarded, you know, and, and pretty much set up for failure um, and just counted as a dropout, or I'm just going to take the hit because there's really nothing I can do. And what's, what we've found through this process is that these are students who don't have an advocate because a lot of times there's not a parent there. You know, we have kids that are living on their own. So there's nobody to fight for this kid. And like Farhat said, it was like eye-opening in that first meeting. It's like, when's the last time someone said something positive to you? I mean, a birthday card, a Christmas gift. Like these are the kids that don't get those things. They've never gotten those things. And they don't know how to be their own advocate. So I think that's kind of the role that we're trying to fill is, yeah, you made a bad decision, but it's not the end of your life. You still have a life to live and it can be a productive life. It doesn't have to be one where you're in and out of jail, prison, et cetera. You don't have to be the stereotype that you've been presented throughout education, which is you're a bad kid. You're not a bad kid. We just need to find the right place for you. Well, and then the other thing is too, before you're 17, you're still a juvenile. So every single interaction you've had with a criminal court is a juvenile charge. No one's going to see that charge. Those records are sealed until you, you get started. When you're 17, you're screwed. You get charged as an adult. But before then, we've had students who like, I can't join the army because of my criminal record. I'm like, yes, you can, because that record is sealed. So I just, um, you're not, we want, we're trying to, recreate their self-fulfilling prophecy. We're trying to give them a different prophecy, not the self-fulfilling one they're used to. Yeah. Yeah. So how, I know a lot of times in, in alternative placements, they, um, it's kind of almost a come and go, right? Like they, there's, oh, there's, yeah. they're sent for a few months or for a semester and then they go back in. Um, it kind of sounds to me like your, your crew are with you for, um, you know, for the, for the duration is, is that, is that the case? Um, I will say, um, typically, you're absolutely right that an alternative ed program is a very transient, where you have students going back and forth. Um, and I think this speaks to the success of the program. We have a lot of students who are placed there because of a disciplinary issue, but they, they figure out, oh, I'm doing well. This is working for me. I'm successful. So they choose to stay in that environment. So we do offer choice contracts where, okay, you know what? Hey, you, you, you've caught up on your credits. You're working toward this credential. If you want to stay here and finish, we will allow you to do that. Well, and sometimes the, the 
at high school administration or middle school administration will try to cut off something before it becomes a thing and like hey i think we have a student who might want to might function better with you yeah. instead of sticking with us so i mean we're open for business yeah well it's i mean you 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 know i go back to the very one of the very first things that you that you shared was that you know a diploma is not a motivating factor for them finding the motivation and and you know i i saw that in the classroom all the time that what was a typical motivator quote unquote that we would you know use was not really a typical motivator, right? Like that was just an idea that someone had and it really did not um, inspire or, or you know, motivate a lot of kids. And, um, you know, that's the beauty of humanity is that everybody is made of different things and, um, and is, is inspired and is motivated by different things. And so I think that, that I, I was kind of hopeful that that's what you were going to say was that, that these kids were, um, able to stay in and really flourish in an environment that is designed for their success. I think that that's, you know, and that's, I think that's one of those pieces that's important that we have learned throughout the pandemic is that um, there are different types of environment that are better for different types of kids and that it doesn't need to be a one size fits all. And, um, you know, the, 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 the MAPS program is, is, is really successful for a certain number of kids. It might not be successful for a different section of kids and, um, and vice versa, right? Like we know school's not working for some of these kids. Let's get them the environment that that's working there. And I, I saw that happen so frequently in conversations around the pandemic where people were like, see, um, online doesn't work. No, online works for a great number of kids. And it works really, really well when you've got teachers that are in it for their why and the students that have chosen it. And they are, you know, like when it's not a forced situation where everybody is just reacting to everything, it can work really, really well for certain kids face-to-face -face works really, really well for a certain section of kids. And so I think it's just, that's one of those pieces that I, I am so inspired by you guys for embracing that and understanding that we need to, you know, we're not trying to change the kids. I mean, you are, you're trying to change their choices. You're trying to influence their choices, but you're, you're trying to meet them where they're at with the, the, the motivation and the relationships and the environment that they need in order to help them make better choices down the road, to provide them with the tools that they need to make those better choices, I guess. For sure. And, and I think to add to, to your conversation, it's important to um, define success for every kid because that looks different for every kid. What it means for me to be successful or a certain student to be successful, it's, it's not like we talked about a piece of paper or, or a diploma or a credential or a job skill. You know, if that kid's not passionate about what success looks like, then they're never gonna be successful. Right. Well, and, and helping them survive. I mean, like you said, it's one of those things where if they don't have that environment, I mean, what's successful to them is could very well be bringing home a paycheck every week that allows me to have a roof over my head. Awesome. Oh. Absolutely. Like, let's make that happen, because if they're not able to have that, they're going to go and find a way. To, to make that happen, right? And like our 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 hope is to help them make that choice in a um, in, in a in a 
in a way that's going to keep them safe, right? It's like be so that beneficial for our entire community. Yes. I, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, if I may, it's not. In a, yeah, we accept them. What, what do you say? Meet them where they're at, yeah. but at the same time, we have to accept them for who they are. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, like that's one of the things that that you know, we, we talk about all the time of like, oh, let's recognize our kids. Let's see where, who they are. Let's embrace them for who they are. And, you know, at the same time, we, we get frustrated when they aren't what we expect them to be. And so I think that that's where, you know, it, it's, I, I see so much empathy in what you, the work, like that's the core of your work is helping understand helping yourselves understand what they've gone through in order to help them see that they are you know they are people and they have have every right to a successful and and healthy and wonderful life and and how can you help them make the best of that life together so yeah for sure absolutely well, this has been a true treat. I have gotten so much out of this. I think that um, you know it's one of those pieces where we have to remember that uh, that that when we say that we're here for all kids, we truly mean all kids. And um, I thank you guys so much for serving the kids that get swept below the cracks. I mean, you know, that's one of those pieces that that a lot of times we we you you said it best. We put them over kind of in the basement and say stay away from everybody else and and we'll just everybody'll get along, but what an incredible story of how you are transforming lives. Um, you're transforming learning and you're transforming lives. And that is what this is all about. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Um, I Thank you for allowing that. us to be here yeah, and share. We really great, appreciate Brianna. that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks y'all so much. We will see you on the next episode of Learning Through Uncertainty. Thanks again. All right, from Georgia. Despite our good intentions, 2020 helped us clearly see that while each day brings a multitude of uncertainties, future-ready leaders are leaning into those opportunities, leading necessary changes to address inequities and learning through uncertainty. Learning Through Uncertainty is hosted by me, Brianna Henneke Hodges, National Faculty for Future Ready Schools. In each episode, we'll connect with future ready instructional leaders and learners as they share their expertise, advice, and experience reimagining teaching and learning to better suit today's learners with tomorrow's techniques. Together, we'll reimagine possibilities, renew communities, and reinvigorate pedagogical practices. Together, we'll redesign environments, recalibrate services, and reconnect purpose, passion, and practice. Subscribe and listen to Learning Through Uncertainty wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Learning Through Uncertainty and Future Ready Schools are projects of all for ed, because together, we're better, and together, we're future ready.